So before we get started, uh, two things. First, uh, next Friday we will not have class. The office is closed the day after Thanksgiving. Um, and then when we get back, uh, we will continue on. And then, um, you know, I was trying to think, like, what's best because December always gets crazy. Um, but we could, like, have our last meeting f uh, for December on December 17th. I don't know. You know, everybody's shopping and going crazy and kids are going crazy and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you could kind of think about that for a little bit. And if you, the, so the, the Friday after Thanksgiving when we meet, let's talk about it again. And I'll get like a show of hands or something like, yeah, we'll meet the 17th or no, I'm out. And, uh, and we'll, we'll figure out the schedule. Yes. There is, and I'm teaching it tomorrow. So, yeah. So there will be catechumen at tomorrow, but I understand not adult Bible study on Sunday. Um, the other thing then is Kathy has an announcement. Carol Holter has an announcement. Uh, Christmas sharing this year, along with the food and the gift card that families got last year, they're collecting diapers and wipes. And uh, there's a shopping cart down at the bottom of the stairs. She says any size diapers, and they are, because I asked her this morning, they're going to open up the boxes and put in smaller things. So in other words, if you bought a big thing, one family's not going to get a big giant one, and somebody else is going to get a small box. So all right, diapers and wipes. Oh, yes, Martha? Do you know when we're going to be able to sign up for, Chris, for the 11? For the drive? That I don't know. Okay. You know what? I'm going to see Carol. I'm going to do her grocery shopping once a week. So I'll see her tomorrow morning. <clears throat> okay. Thank you. I will Okay. All right. So if you did not get a handout, they are outside on the counter. Um, make sure you signed in also. Uh, today we're going we're gonna to focus on a theme that is catechesis. Okay, and we're going to look at catechesis from a New Testament book of Acts perspective. Um, I apologize. Janice caught me on this right away that there's way more Greek in here than there should be. And I have, you know, I... It, I got into one of these. I got into one of these modes where I just kind of lost myself, and you know, that's when I need my wife to like sort of like pull me back, you know. And uh, she wasn't around, so I, I apologize ahead of time for all the Greek. Um, it's it's it's, you know, I put the big quote on the first page just so that I didn't have to go back into my book. I could actually just read it. Yes. I did. I went wild because I type it myself. And so, you know, you just kind of, so I apologize. That's just part of my, part of my problem, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to read it. Yeah. I'll read it to you. Yeah. You want me to read it out loud? Okay. All right. So this is from 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, verses 4 through 6, and it, it reads, En hois ha theos, tu ionis tutu, etiflosen ta naemata, ton apiston, ice ta me, augasai tan fotisman, tu oyangilu, tes doxes tu Christu, has esten icon tu theu. Ugar Iautus Kerisamen Alla Christan Yesun Kirian Iautus de Dulus Himon Dia Yesun Hati Hatheas Ha Ipon Ek Scatus Fos Lampsai Has Elampsen Entis Cardiais Hemon Tas Fotisman Tes gnoseos, tes doxes, tu theu, and prosopo Christu.
And yeah, and it, you know, that's a little harder because I'm usually just reading it silently. But, um, you know, the idea is, so catechesis in the early church was very organized because, you know, you think about the early Christians lived in a very variegated culture where there are a lot of different religions and mystery cults and there was sorcery and witchcraft and all kinds of things going on very similar to our our culture today and so catechesis was very structured and they had so you know one of the things we're working on here at St. John with my coming is pro-catechesis which is like pre-catechesis okay so in the early church there was pro-catechesis which was talking to people who were not yet entering the catechumenate and then you would so you would sort of prepare them to enter the catechumenate and they would go through three or sometimes four years of the catechumenate and then they would they would be baptized and then receive the sacrament And then there was ongoing catechesis, which was for the faithful. And, you know, you see this in, you know, the catechumenate here at St. John. But then the adult Bible study serves as that post-catechumenate instruction that's just always ongoing. And there's, I I reference Cyril of Jerusalem here, who was really... uh, kind of a pioneer with with the catechumenate and his catechumenate lectures. But there was uh, Clement of Alexandria who lived 150 to 212 AD. And he really focused on these three aspects of education in the church. And there was a group of people. So the people that were entering the, the, pre, the pro-catechumenate and sort of tiptoeing in, they were called the photidzomenoi, the enlightened, you know. So the idea is, you know, just like with Jesus, Jesus is the light that dispels the darkness. And so this word is the word for light. And so they're being enlightened, you know, they start to ask questions and then they start to get answers in the pro-catechesis realm. And what happens is the Holy Spirit through the word starts to shine in the heart and the soul of the person. And so they become the photizomenoi. And then they get ready and they start off by renouncing you know, their past life, they uh, renounce the devil, and then they begin their journey, and then they start to go. And this first page, I was just kind of, you know, rolling along and just thought I would add it. But if you look at the, the Greek text that I was looking at here, Second Corinthians 4, 4 and 6, uh, it says... Um, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unfaithful or um, those who have not been persuaded um, in order um, to have the light sort of illumine by the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Um, and it, and it goes on and it, it talks about uh, light. So you see that bold word, phos, light shines out of the darkness, uh, which shines in our hearts to enlighten us to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this passage in Second Corinthians 4 is focusing on the fact that what makes for light for the Christian, the face of Christ. And so the idea is we always peer into Jesus. And when we do, this divine light shines into our lives. 
And so this is, this is the catechumenate. The, the goal is always to help people to see Jesus from the shadows and the darkness that is around and in the world. And so this leads to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, which is a very interesting text. And so for the handout, you could skip on to page 2. And let's just walk through this and take a look at what we find here. It starts off, so Acts 8, 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anybody have a Bible translation that instead of saying south, it says noon. Does anybody have one that says noon? No? Okay. Noon could be an interpretation of this word. And I kind of like it because what happens at noon? You had Jesus, so you have the crucifixion. And what happens from noon to three? Ooh, darkness. Okay, now what I, what I think is happening in this account of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip is I, it's a spiritual text. So it's, it's two things. It's a historical account that Luke gives us of what happened, but then it also has a lot of spiritual undertones so he's going to the south or perhaps he's going down at noon and the angel of the lord tells philip to do this and i've listed several you know what are some of the angel of the lord appearances in the bible there's a bunch and i didn't list all of them but i listed a good a good number of them and whenever the angel of the Lord comes on, something big happens. And it usually is of a prophetic nature. There's usually some word from God given to someone that either something's going to happen or they need to do something. And so you have it here. And he says, arise and go toward the south or go towards the noonday sun along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he says, this is desert. Now, what, you know, why would it be referred to as desert? Well, if you think about the desert, what happens in the Bible that's desert-related? Okay, so you have, yeah, the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness, in the desert. There was also, Jesus was tempted, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jesus is, yeah, Jesus is alone, there's darkness from noon to three, you're alone in the desert. It's an uninhabitable place right and think about too i don't know if you ever learned this like when dr kleinig was here but um you know he talks about this in his commentary that for sacrifices there were two goats and there were two tags and one tag had written on it for yahweh and then the other tag had written on it for Azazel. Do you know this? This is amazing. And so one's for Yahweh, one's for Azazel. What does Azazel mean in Hebrew? Fallen angel of God. All right. Now, one gets sacrificed for the sins of the people. The other one gets a kick in the rear end and goes running out to the desert. Now, which one gets sacrificed? The one that says for Yahweh. The one that says for the fallen angel of God goes out in the desert. Now, 
you would think that the one for Azazel was the one that got off, right? You know, he's out there, you know, chewing on some grass going, man, that was a close one, you know. And then all of a sudden comes a lion or a pack of wolves and violence, right? A violent death. So, you know, there's something to that where that that goat that got out, the scapegoat, goes to the desert and it is dangerous. Because if you think just thematically about the Bible, the desert is the place that's arid and dry and the devil prowls about. But in the city is where the temple is. It's where God is found, right? So, you know, you have these themes rolling about. So the fact that he just simply says, this is desert, why does he say that unless there is a meaning behind it? So it's a spiritual desert. And Philip finds this out as he goes along. So he arose in verse 27 and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, to have a scroll like that of Isaiah would be very costly in those days. So he was wealthy. The fact that, so it's interesting, he's an Ethiopian eunuch under the, the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He has charge of her treasury. He's an important person, but he's an Ethiopian, but he goes to Jerusalem to worship. So it's possible he was coming back from a feast, you know, a Jewish obligatory feast where, you know, in Jerusalem, whenever you had one of these obligatory feasts, the Jews would come from all over and you'd end up with over 2 million people in a very small city at that time. And so he had gone and worshiped. He was coming back. He's in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah. Now, when you think about this, if you ever feel yourself like, I try to read the Bible and it's hard to understand, or I try to read the Old Testament and half the time I'm not sure what is going on in there or what I'm supposed to get out of it, you're not alone because you see it here in this text. And I always say, and I know, I know Pastor Nelson and Pastor Bruzek too, that you, know, you have to put on your, your Jesus goggles, right? Like there's a certain way to read the Bible and it clears everything up. But this Ethiopian, he doesn't have on his Jesus goggles. So he's reading Isaiah and he doesn't get it. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? There's so much language in this text. Like he says in verse 26, rise up. And that's a word for resurrection. Go. And to go means to journey. So it's a sustained kind of thing. Like, this word for journey that, that the angel of the Lord tells Philip to go on is the same kind of journey that Israel would take when they would go off to the promised land. And then also, I, I don't want to miss this point. So it, when it says in verse 26, rise up and go according to noon or according to the south, whichever way you want to say it, Upon the road. So again, you have this, this road, the word road in Greek, hadas, is a spiritual road. As, as we've learned through, you know, studying a little bit together now. 
that this, this word always has the connotation of a spiritual journey on the road of Christ. You know, there's that language of feet, a light for your path, the path that you walk on, the whole bit. And so he says then in verse 30, well, verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, go, and how does it say in English? Overtake this chariot. That's, does, any, does anybody else's Bible say something different than overtake? Join. Join. Stay near it. Okay, so this is a special word, kalethiti, which literally means to glue yourself together. It is the same word that Jesus uses for marriage. The two shall be, be joined together and shall, the two shall become one flesh. So it's like to become one. Become one with the chariot or become one with the Ethiopian. So what this is, is it's actually a picture of the catechumenate. It's a picture of the church between the pastor and the people. The pastor joins himself to the people and we journey together. So, you know, and St. John has always been really good at this, but it's not just a data dump, right? So catechesis, and this is really important, catechesis is not just a data dump, an information center, I've got what I need, now I go back to normal life. No, you become one, you're joined to the church, you're joined to the pastor, the pastor is joined to the people, and we now journey together. It's very formative. And so I put on the first page of the handout, there's three things at the bottom of the first page. There are three things at the bottom, place, learning, and practice. These are the three things that are needed in the church and for the catechumenate. You have to have a place, and that place would be the altar, right? Or the baptismal font, if a person hasn't been baptized yet. Uh, where you find the font and you find the altar, you also find the pastor, the bishop. And it is there, so place would be altar, but also people. And that's where you now find your life. And from that place, altar, font, pulpit, with the pastor's voice, then comes learning. And from that learning, and it, again, it's not just like data dump and then off you go, but the learning is formative. It's, so it's not just what we say, but it's also what we do. It's how we live, it's, which leads it then into practice. How do we practice? How do we live? How do we breathe? And see, so this, the three-pronged aspect of catechesis, pro-catechesis, catechumenate, and then you know, post-catechumenate or ongoing study, it, it's, it just becomes a continual sort of life. And so the fact that, and this is what's sort of ironic because Philip eventually then is taken off and he goes someplace else, but the idea is the learning is sustained. So back to the second page. Well, and actually now you go to the third page. So what does this look like in the church today? Well, a pastor binds himself to Christ's people. He sits with them and, and bears their needs. And here's this great quote from Gregory the Great. Uh, he wrote a book called The Pastoral Rule. And he says, but those who preside over others 
should exhibit a type of behavior that will lead the laity to disclose their secrets to them. Consequently, when the weak endure the waves of temptation, they will return to their pastor's counsel as a crying child seeks its mother's breast. And in the solace of his counsel and the tears of prayer, the laity will cleanse themselves of the defilement of sin that attacks them. So the pastor takes, the way I've always described it in my other parishes is, the pastor takes a seat and he stays and, and listens and counsels and teaches. And this comes out in uh, Philippians 2, for example, just to take, so I don't forget this. Um, take a quick look at Philippians chapter 2. I'll probably refer to this a hundred or a thousand times, but this is, um, it's just such a powerful text because it encompasses the Trinity, but it's subtle. And it's, so it says here in Philippians 2 verse 1, if there's any consolation in Christ... Now, the word consolation is the word we get for the Holy Paraclete, Paracletus, Holy Paraclete, so Holy Spirit. So if there's any comfort or consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, and so these are different words that are being used, but the comfort of love literally means to be as physically close to a person who is suffering as is possible. So this, in, in Philippians 2, verse 1, comfort of love literally means to take a seat with a person and stay with them and be an ear and then a word of counsel and a word of wisdom, a word of teaching. This speaks of, of the pastor, but it also speaks of the church. You know, Philippians 2, 1, you know, he's, this is being written to all the Christians in, you know, in, in the church in Philippi. And then it says, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any compassion and mercy, fulfill my joy in order that you may be of the same mind. Of the same mind. So to be of the same mind is a spiritually derived concept. Because the Greeks were always of the mind, right? And so he's writing in Greek, so he's saying, you know, be of the same mind, the same thought. And what would that be but the way of mercy, the way of truth, knowing the things of Jesus, knowing the, the story of Jesus. So Philippians 2.1 is synonymous or kind of goes along with the concept of Philip binding himself to the Ethiopian. This is catechesis. We, we stay with, with the people. Yes? Um, you know, so you're saying that the Philippians passage also binds with the church um, and how we are to keep with one another. So then going back to Philip, would you say that's true then in terms of how, like, to that, how the pastor catechizes us? But then is that also how to be with, you know, non-believers or people that were in your interacting with? Yeah. It has a very missional sort of scope to it. Like, you know, my problem is I, I'm going to run out of time. But, in, but, in, but, like, there's so much to say about this. Because, it, so in Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, look at this for a second. And think, now, well, now when you look at this, think about the burst around the baptismal font in the church, okay? Acts 2, verses 9 through 11. Because that actually connects to what you're saying, Aaron. It says here, so this is the uh, Pentecost. And it says, in, so verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? That text groups groups the, the geographic regions in four, four areas. So like Parthians and Medes and the Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, that's from the east, okay? Then the next one, um, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, that's like west. So if you're thinking about Jerusalem, right? So think about the location of Jerusalem. The first names are from the east. The next ones are from the west and then the north. And then Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. And then Cretans and Arabs to the south. So what's happening in this designation of these different places is you have Jerusalem as the center and then you have like the burst from the baptismal font, like a compass. And so the gospel is going to go all these different places. And so in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian, we see the example of it going south. It's going to go south. And so this is kind of the part of like even outside the church, as you talk to people, you sit with them and you listen to what their thoughts are and you ask, you know, and so the question becomes, if you go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? Now, again, in verse 30, do you know what you are reading? And the word know in Greek is a divine knowledge. There, you know, because see, in Greek, there's different words for knowing. And some is like perceiving. So like the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria at the well in, in John's gospel, you know, she's talking to Jesus. And she says in Greek, I perceive that you are a prophet. She doesn't say, I know you are a prophet. She's like, I'm learning, I'm getting the sense that you're not who you, who I thought you were, you know? But her saying, you seem to be somebody else, you know, a prophet, that's different than saying, do you understand or do you know what you're reading? He's saying, have you had the divine, do you have the divine understanding of this text? Do you know who this is about? And how does he respond? How can I unless someone guides me? Now, here's the amazing thing, okay? So in Greek, the word for road is hadas. And the word for guide is hadegas. Does it sound familiar? Hadas, hadegas. So the guide is the person on the road who leads his feet leads the way. And so the Ethiopian understands, I need someone of the way. So think about this. Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and the The way is the word for road. Okay? So there is this acknowledgement by the Ethiopian that to understand these divine things, I need someone who's on the holy road that can make a light for my path and be a guide for me. And this is catechesis. This is, this is the pastoral ministry in the church. This is the relationship between the clergy and the people that we teach, we walk together, we guide we talk on the road. I mean, you, you know, when you start hearing this language, all these different accounts in the Bible start popping into your head, don't they? Like the Emmaus Road. 
Jesus is preaching in their ear and they have no idea who he is. As they walk along the road and they're sad. I mean, you just, it just, things just start popping. So he, the Ethiopian's an honest person. Yes, Aaron. Well, I, I guess, sorry. To back. No, that's okay. I think I, I think I brought it up because like, it just struck me as, if it is also like, that's what the pastor is for us, but that's also like how we are to be with others. It's just so different from like the way I was brought up to evangelism and discipleship. Mm-hmm. There's so much more of like like friends who would go up to people at the park and be like, do you know Jesus? He wants, he's going to save you. For, you know, it's like just out of nowhere is evangelism. Yeah. Rather than like the binding yourself to people. And even discipleship, it was sort of like provide these younger Christians with a Bible study, you know, and give a devotional for them. And that's discipleship versus like Binding yourself to somebody and walking along the way with them, which is like a, such a richer way of discipling. I mean, and discipling, yeah. I mean, obviously, like the pastors when we make it us. But in some sense, like older Christians to younger Christians are also doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me respond to that, but go ahead, Holly. Um, just to Aaron's point, this, like, this wasn't at random, you know, because the unit wasn't already interested. He was like, what is this? You know, so That's right. I, I feel like, you know, going up to random people at the park, do you know who Jesus is? I know it. There's no connection there, you know. And That's right. Well, you could take this story as that. You could. But you're showing it something bigger. Yeah. He, the eunuch's already... He's got some scripture in his hand, right? Yeah. So I guess maybe the question would be, is like, where do we find these wondering, wondering Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in this case, you know, the angel of the Lord says, go, you know, but you see the great commission kind of in it. You know, it's thematically based on the book of Acts, too. But, um, you know, the idea and I and I think truly in our culture today, it's relationships like did I ever t- I have a million stories and they're crazy stories like I'm a lightning rod for the weird <laughs> I'm just telling you that right now okay and so last winter did I take Starbucks downtown last winter did I tell you this story no okay so I had on my collar and it was freezing cold out but I thought you know I need a good walk so I walked downtown I had my coat zipped way up so you know you couldn't see my collar and I walk in, and there's nobody in there except the baristas. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, I need my pour over, this, that, and the other thing, you know. And then I go over, and this guy, this older gentleman, pulls up in this uh, BMW. is a six-figure BMW, and it was a convertible. The top was up, of course. But, um, but I'm, like, I'm like gawking. I'm like, whoa, that is a nice car. And so the guy comes walking in and I just simply said, that is one nice car. And he looks at me and he says, thanks. That's my retirement. You know, I'm having a good time with that. And I'm like, that's really cool, you know. So he goes over and then a couple, he orders his drink and a couple people come in and they order their drinks. And then all of a sudden, this young guy comes flying into the Starbucks and he's like, hey, God bless you. How you doing? How are you? You know, Romans 8.24 says this, and, you know, I'm fine, I'm blessed, da 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 you know. And the, the baristas, like, bristle in 2.2 seconds, you know. They're all like, you know. And, and I'm just standing over here, right? I'm, like, literally up against the wall, just kind of, like, hanging out. And, uh, and, and the BMW guy gets his coffee, and the young guy is out here, evan- you know, cold evangelizing like crazy. And I'm just like... You know, and I know where this is going. Like, I just know that guy is going to hit me, you know, and, and I'm just, so I'm just sitting there and the, uh, the BMW guy comes by and he looks at me and he says, you know, I don't have any problem with that stuff, but you just shouldn't do that, you know, and then he walks over and he's waiting for his coffee. And sure enough, the young guy, the young evangelist comes over and he starts telling me, have you given your life to Jesus yet? you know what, you can be saved, you know, and he's going on and he's like, Colossians 2 says this, and, and I'm just kind of nodding, you know, I'm just kind of like this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, 
he didn't know, he didn't, he had no idea, you know. Well, I, I'll get, so I'll get to that. So I was afraid of what would happen with this guy if I did that. So I just kind of kept it up and just kept nodding along. But because I just kind of sat there and smiled and nodded my head, it caught him off guard. And so he kind of stops, literally just like falls silent for a second, and he kind of looks me up and down, and then he shakes my hand and says, God bless you. And then he walks away. And, and anyway, so then the BMW guy gets his coffee, and I'm still waiting for my pour-over. And, you know... <laughs> And he comes up to me and he says, you know, that kind of stuff just really drives me crazy. Now, this is a BMW guy. And I zip down my coat. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and he kind of stops and looks at me. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. And, uh, and I said, it's okay. It's all right. You know, and then he asks me, like, so where's your church? You know, so see, this is a great example. So the the other guy, the evangelist, takes off, but it's the BMW guy that starts to ask me, like, what church are you from? St. John Lutheran up there, right up there, you know? And he's like, oh, okay, all right. Well, maybe I'll come over there sometime, you know? And so anyway, then I get my coffee. He gets his coffee. We, we start to part ways, and I turn and I say, hey, enjoy that car. And he says, oh, I will. And I said, and... God bless you. And he stopped and he says, I won't take that from him, but I'll take it from you. <laughs> you know, so, you know, that's just the weird that I always deal with, you know, and I don't have to have my, see, I don't have to have my collar on. It's just like, I'm a lightning rod. But, you know, so the point, yeah, so, all right, I'll get to yours, Aaron, but you go ahead. Exactly. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words, right? I feel like it's the same kind of stuff. Like, I must be a, a lightning rod too, because I definitely am not one that likes to evangelize. And, but I always get asked questions. And, um, and then I feel a great responsibility. Yeah. Quiet yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, you know I think. A lot of it is relational. And especially in our culture today, because there's so much animosity towards Christianity, that if you can just be a, you know, a humble, loving Christian um, and you know, think deeply about your relationships and then you know, have a life of prayer, and ask the Lord, you know, when there's opportunity to then present those opportunities. Yes. And, and I think the members class is a great example of like a unit. They're here, like, what's, what's this church about? So, yeah. I know some, some elders come and they come and kind of come alongside and sometimes get in and have people yeah. that are like their whatever, mentors in the yeah. church. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's like a small picture. Yeah. I don't want to say evangelizing, but just discipleship, like what Aaron was saying, you know, there's something people want. You know, if you have questions, go and ask, then we're here. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. You know, the mentoring, just, you know, kind of being present and, um, you know, letting the opportunity naturally flow. And uh, you'll find that will happen. And it's, you know, it's to be genuine, you know, to, to truly have a good relationship, a meaningful relationship where you love people and uh, you want to do good, you know, it's, it's very valuable. Well, so, my, so after you told your story, like, what, I, what I was thinking about is, I, I know that kid, not, not that kid, but I yeah. know that kid. You bet. Uh, like, I, like friends from college, that was exactly what they would do. And these are not these are not psycho kids. Right. Like, they're really sincere. They're not like they're but 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 I had one friend who he would feel like I think God is calling me to go talk to that person. And so he would go talk to somebody and he was nervous about it and didn't want to do it, but he felt like 
I have to go do this because God wants me to, and if I don't, I'm not listening to him. And so he goes, God loves you. He died on the cross to save you from your sins, and I just want to share. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, okay. I relieved my, my responsibility, and now I can walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the you know, and it's done almost out of just like pure guilt. Yeah. So I mean in some sense like I get it, that's super annoying and you're like, stop it. But also <laughs> understanding like that's like somebody who's suffering from something themselves. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, uh, evangelism and that's why I just kinda nodded and was kind to the, you know, young guy, because I knew that the law was killing him, right? And that's what you know, that's why he was doing it. And, um, but, you know, like Gregory of Nyssa, who was an early church father, he was a Cappadocian, 400s, you know, 300s into the 400s. Um, he said uh, that you could do more with a spirited atheist than you could with a numb Christian, you know? So, um, Mission work, outreach, evangelism, witnessing, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's not just data dump information. It's not from the side of the law that I have to do this or else my salvation is in question. But it's, you know, anytime you talk about Jesus, it's, you know, there's a sense of spiritual care always, right? Because how a person feels, what they're thinking how they respond uh, is largely determined by what's going on in their souls, right? So if a person's angry, they will respond one way. If they suffer from uh, a spiritual numbness, they will respond a different way. Um, And so, you know, if you have a relationship with people and you just genuinely love these people that are in your life, you will also then have a better understanding about, you know, what is it that's going on within that person? What is their, what is their weakness? You know, what do they struggle with? And that helps then if you talk to them, you know. But then it's also more personal. It's more meaningful. It's not wooden, you know. Um, yes, Carol. Going way back to my college days, there was a group called Ambassadors for Christ. Yeah. Affiliated with the church. Yep. And a church would like establish a list of I don't know the inactives or the delinquents, and <laughs> get you give you brochures and prepare you to have a little bit of a conversation and invite them to the church. And sometimes that's really all it took. Yeah. Was knowing that someone cared enough yeah. about their absence yep. that they would go out and invite them to return. Right. Or to give them a brochure or something that would maybe help them. To extend in love, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so I see I'm, I am running out of time, but let's, if, you know, so if you have to go and get your kids, I completely understand. Um, but let's try to get through this. Um, so it quotes the scripture, Isaiah 53, and it's the famous, you know, one of the famous Lenten texts. And the eunuch says in verse 34, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth. So, you know, this is, Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. When he gets ready to start preaching, it says, and he opened his mouth and said, and then out comes divine speech. So it's the same kind of thing, like, what Philip is going to say is divine speech. It's the church's kerygma. It's the church's proclamation. And he goes on and he talks. Now, it says, beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. But then, interestingly enough, in verse 36, as they went down the road, they came to some water 
And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, I don't see specifically in the Isaiah text anything specifically about baptism. So then you're like, what was going on in that chariot? I think that there was a lot of catechesis. And to talk about Jesus is to talk about baptism. Because now all of a sudden, this guy's like, I think I need to be baptized. And by the way, here's water. But wait a minute, it's desert? You see? You see what's going on here? Like there is a spiritual undertone, a catechetical. This is a picture of the church's catechetical journey in this text. You go from an arid desert that's dangerous where the devil prowls about to suddenly, oh my, there's water here. It's like going to the church, the oasis. So it's like the church is an oasis in the midst of a desert. That's something to pull from this text. And some manuscripts don't have it, but the New King James does. Now, notice if you have the ESV, you should be missing verse 37. Did you ever notice that? (laughs) So there is a verse 37. So, well, some manuscripts have it and some manuscripts don't. So like the NIV and the ESV when they did their translations, they went off of a certain body of manuscripts. So they used the manuscripts that didn't have it. They can't count? Well, <laughs> well this, this, I put it here on the sheet, though. Verse 37. So Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. So that's what verse 37, that's really important. Well, some manuscripts have it, some don't. And so they went with certain one, you know, it's, that's a whole nother explanation. But, um, but doesn't that sound like a creed? I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Amen. Dunk. Right? So this is, so again, this is a perfect picture of the church's catechumenate because in the catechumenate for an adult, there would be some catechesis that would lead, and they would learn the creed first, and then they would confess the creed at their baptism and, okay? And so it's simply, you know, for the adult, They've heard the gospel. They've been enlightened by the gospel. The Holy Spirit has come. So Jesus is still doing the verbs, but because it's an adult, the verbs are through the proclamation and the instruction, which then leads to the baptism, and they begin the journey. And um, so does that make sense? A little, but maybe not. Instead of a child... We answer as a sponsor, yes, this child believes. Yeah, I mean, it's, so baptism is pure gift, right? And so, you know, it's, you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the forgiveness of sins, you become a new creation and you journey. And that is the typical road. And for babies, that's the order, right? I guess my question is, Right. Maybe this is why it's not in this. Yeah. Maybe it's in the Zotterman Publishing House book. You know what? Could be. Could be. <laughs> they added it. Yeah. Yeah. So at least they. Yeah. At least they did put it in here. It's just not in the book. Right. Yeah. 
so, so the idea is that, you know, so this is one of those kind of things where baptism is life-giving, but the gospel is also life-giving. And so you can receive the Holy Spirit through the hearing of the gospel also. And so in that case, if you're an adult, hearing the gospel would be Jesus doing the verbs and springing faith, which would lead you to the font with the confession that Jesus is the Christ. You know, it's, so it is kind of like, like what Carol said, where for an infant in the baptismal rite, we have the creed, but the people say it for the baby. But then in the rite of confirmation down the road, there the person says it for him or herself. Um, but yeah, but maybe that's why they left it out to avoid the, you know, but it, you know, it, the creed goes with the baptismal water, but it's just like, you know, it's spoken and that's that. Uh, yes. I heard that um, if a mother loses her child uh, before birth, that they can be reassured that they, the baby had heard the word through the mother. Yep, right. And so if the baby was not able to be baptized, he is still safe. Yeah, right. That's exactly, yeah. And so let's see if there's one other thing. Wait, we could roll for another good 20 minutes, but... <laughs> um, so he went down in the water and he was baptized. They came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. And I put some passages on the handout that relate to being taken away because I think that's kind of an interesting and strange thing. But notice verse 39. The eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. R way, it's the word for road. So you see, baptism now he's on the road. He's on the road of Christ. And I don't know what you're supposed to get out of that with Philip, why the Spirit took him away. I don't know if it's like to symbolize that the church keeps going on, you know, because, you know, I mean, eventually pastors die to go to be with Jesus too, but, the, you know, the church and the pastorate and the catechesis, it goes on. And, but now he's on the road. And so he's with the church. I know, I know. But see, I think, yeah. But see, I think that's, that's what's in, implicit is now that he's on the road, now he is with the church. And so it's different. You know, now it will be different. And who knows, like some of the church history, like um, Eusebius wrote a church history, for example. And, you know, in, in some of that stuff, some of these people that were in these accounts ended up like, you know, in the history going off and preaching and, you know, becoming pastors or whatever, mission workers. They went to different places. And we don't know that about the Ethiopian, but... Um, he becomes a part of the church. So um, on the last page at the bottom is uh, a collect. So let us close with the collect and then the benediction. O holy and dear Savior Jesus Christ, you have made yourself known through the prophetic scriptures as you revealed yourself to the Ethiopian. Illumine our hearts with the knowledge of your saving redemption that we may find ourselves enwrapped in your church with prophets, apostles, and saints as the baptismal waters bubble over us. Guard us as we journey. Never let us be alone. Fill our lives with the communal hope which you have brought from the cross that we will see you on this holy road as we sing our joys because of your eternal love. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, 
one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.